Hey everyone, welcome to another edition to the Point Podcast. We all had a great weekend. I am back after an awesome Sunday of football, a wild Sunday where I made no money gambling. Thankfully, my college football bets and our segments have been killing because Ryder, myself, we are hitting it on the college games. The NFL is completely out of whack. I don't know what the hell is going on. There's craziness all around. There are teams that I thought were going to be really good that have struggled so far. There are teams that I didn't think were any good that aren't, which gives me some sort of indication, gives me some sort of amusement, if you will. And I'm holding a football to start the show because I just, it's fun. It's football is back. You get to throw the pigskin around. Fall is sort of in the air, which that's a love-hate thing for me because I love the warm weather. It's my dream to live in warm weather year-round. I hate snow, and that's on the horizon. So, again, you got to push past the negative to look at the positive where you have the pigskin, and you can enjoy that every Saturday, Sunday, and even some Friday nights if you really want to watch some Syracuse, Virginia college football, which I watched a little bit of this past week. But we're here today to talk about a lot of different topics, a lot of, diff- a lot of interesting issues. Sadly, to start the show, Coach Herm Edwards, one of my favorites of all time. He was a great personality for the mothership at ESPN. He's been the head coach at Arizona State University the last four and a half years. He was fired Sunday after another after a tough loss to Eastern Michigan. They start one and two in the season. So Arizona State is moving on from Coach Herm. But he's in his 70s. It's about time he stopped, he stopped coaching anyway. And we all got to remember – you play to win the game. He'll be synonymous. Some can't even say the word. He will be synonymous. There we go. With that, for the rest of the time, because that is his line. I mention it all the time to friends. I say it to Seamus about every week here on the show, because that's what sports is all about. You don't play for ties. You don't play for stupid. You play to win the game as players, as coaches. And we're going to talk about a coach today who doesn't play to win, who doesn't play to tie, who just plays to look stupid. And that's Nathaniel Hackett, but that's later in the show. When it comes to the lead today, there's a lot of different ways I could go. There's a ton of interesting storylines from yesterday in my mind, a lot of interesting games, some interesting results. But I'm going to start with the game that had a whole lot of intrigue and had one of the craziest, one of these most surprising fourth quarters in recent memory. And that would be what happened in Baltimore, Maryland yesterday, where the Miami Dolphins stormed back and put 28 points on the Baltimore defense in the fourth quarter alone. It was the best game of Tua Tagovailoa's career, where he threw six touchdown passes, He had two receivers go over 170 yards receiving, and he looked like a quarterback that could play for multiple years in the National Football League. He had 450 yards passing. This wasn't dinking duck Tua Tagovailoa. This wasn't garbage time Tua. This was him balling out for a huge road victory. I got to start with him. I haven't been the biggest Tua guy. I watched him at Alabama. 
I liked what I saw, but I also saw that his hips were injured every year. I also saw for a guy that had great mobility. He didn't move that well in the pocket. He didn't escape that well. But what he could do is he could throw accurately. That was true. But it was always, well, he's got Devontae Smith. He's got Jerry Judy. He's got Jamison Williams. You have all these track team of receivers at Alabama, and it holds people back. I think it elevates players, and it also makes you ponder certain guys where Mac Jones was taking 15th overall. And Mac Jones is not, a, to me, a great quarterback. Two is more talented than Mac Jones, although I thought Mac Jones had a good game yesterday, and we'll get into what I really loved about his game yesterday in a little bit. But yesterday was a microcosm of what Tua Tagvailoa can be and what he has to be if he's going to be successful in the NFL. You surround a quarterback that is limited when it comes to overall skills, when it comes to a deep ball, when it comes to, I think, just accuracy on intermediate to deep routes. If you have receivers that aren't elite, that aren't going to break off, that are going to need a 50-50 separation ball, like a Devontae Parker, who the Dolphins got rid of in this offseason, that quarterback is not going to have that much success because he needs he needs a place to throw the ball where receivers are open to make the catch. His 50-50 ball isn't going to be as good. You see the touchdown pass from Mac Jones to Aguilar yesterday? That wasn't a good pass. Aguilar made a better play on the ball, and they scored a touchdown. It was a lucky play. It should have been an interception. Better play the wide receiver. Poor play by the quarterback. Yet Tua, or should I say the Dolphins, saw two things that they could do. One, they needed to hire an offensive-minded coach. Nobody is going to tell me that Brian Flores deserved to be fired by the Miami Dolphins. He did not. He's one of the better coaches in the NFL. He was having success with a Miami Dolphins team that has had none in my lifetime, hardly. I grew up a Dolphins fan. Painfully. Um, my allegiances are gone, so it doesn't matter to me anymore. But I grew up a Dolphins fan and a Leafs fan. It was misery. At my childhood, I had no excitement. I had nothing to be happy about. All the teams I rooted for sucked. Thank you, Mom and Dad. However, if you are a Dolphins fan, suffering Dolphins fan, you should be intrigued. You should be interested in this team. Because Ryan Tannehill, you can make an argument, is better than Tua Tagovailoa. I wouldn't. I won't fight you on that. I think Tua has a way bigger ceiling. But Tua has something that Ryan Tannehill never did, elite receivers. Jarvis Landry was great in Miami. That was it. He didn't have a good tight end. Anthony Fasano was not a great tight end. Their running game was putrid. Their offensive line was bad. What did they do? They hired an offensive coach. They go draft Jalen Waddle, who's been a stud in the NFL so far. He's been fantastic. They get Tyreek Hill. They, they draft Mike Gusecki at tight end, and they franchise tag him to make sure he stays in Miami this season, which worked out he caught a touchdown pass yesterday. You get Raheem Mostert. You get Chase Edmond. Offense that is just quick, quick, quick with a quarterback that needs to get the ball out quick because the offensive line still isn't great. Still not meshing. Better than the Bengals, but still isn't great yet. Sometimes 
it's not about the player and it's about what the team is doing to help the player. Something that was so frustrating in the NFL to me, and this is linking it to this Baltimore game. The draft profiles on Lamar Jackson were, we don't think he's going to fit into our system. You know what that means to me? That you are a lazy, lazy coach, personnel, whatever position you are in, you're lazy. Because you want somebody that fits into what you've already done. You've done the work. You've written the playbook. You've done the plays going into the offseason. You don't want to make that many tweaks. Let's get another statue quarterback to replace our guy. We don't want a, a guy that's mobile because if he's mobile, then we have to change a whole bunch of plays. We have to do all these different things. What did Baltimore do? They drafted him anyway, and they had a statue in Joe Flacco. They changed their offense. They changed the way they approached offense, and it's been a godsend for them. So many teams are just so lazy and incompetent that they're unwilling to notice, hey, we have a player that is average, that is mediocre. How can we help him be good to great? Why don't we surround him with elite talent? Eureka, what an idea. Wow, this sounds groundbreaking. Jeff Bezos would find this just completely perplexing. No, it's not that hard to figure out. Put great players around a good player. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty damn good result. Look at the Dolphins yesterday. That, to me, ladies and gents, was one of the biggest victories in the last 20 years for the Miami Dolphins. You know why? Because nobody gave them a shot of winning that game yesterday, including me. I was watching that first half, and I was marveling at Lamar Jackson, who played great yesterday, I might add, who's only helping his bank account because the guy's straight balling out. His defense was like a leak sieve yesterday that didn't even want to help him. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Jesus Christ. That torn ACL last year did more than just tear his ACL. He got burned on back-to-back -back possessions on deep balls. How about some safety help over the top, Marcus Williams? Stop trying to sneak it, uh, an interception. Sure, he had two yesterday. Decent game. On the big plays, you are nowhere to be seen. You are MIA. But, but, Dolphins fans, you should be intrigued. You should be optimistic for the first time in a very long time. This doesn't, this doesn't mean you're going to make the play. It's week two. It is. But you can be intrigued in a team in week two. You can. That's not crazy. The Buffalo Bills have been intrigued with Josh Allen. What did Josh Allen look like when he started his career? Did he look like a guy that was going to be an MVP candidate? Justin Herbert didn't come out and look great. It takes Sometimes it takes longer for players. just does. Here's how I put it. The New Orleans Saints are being touted as Super Bowl favorites. They're being picked by media people. That offense yesterday, woof. When you have a great defense, which the Dolphins, I think it's good. They had a poor game yesterday, but I give them credit in the second half, and I give them credit. Two drives, they had fourth and one stops, including on the goal line in the second quarter, which changed the game. 
Lamar Jackson, it was a long review. Believe me, I was losing it. Luckily, I had four screens. I had other games on, so I didn't have to just focus on that. But you make two big stops like that on defense, it can change games. It did. Touchdown on that play, you lose. You're not coming back for another touchdown because you had no damn time. 14 seconds, they scored the game-winning touchdown to Jalen Waddle. They had just about enough time to make it work. Tua is still gonna have his people still gonna have people that doubt him. I'm not so but something we I think we have to do as a media, as myself, as I watch these games. And this week I'm gonna be re-watching a lot of football. I wanna watch more, I wanna be better for all you wanna talk about games midweek and really get into what I saw because I think that's interesting and it helps me. But watching that game yesterday. I saw a decisive quarterback. I saw a guy that wasn't afraid to throw it down the field. He wasn't afraid of the big moment. You're on the road in Baltimore, NFC, uh, AFC North, one of the prestige franchises in the sport, the Baltimore Ravens. And Tua went in there and said, hello. Not to mention, here's a stat for you. Tua Tagovailoa in his career is 8-0 against head coaches that have won a Super Bowl. Eight no, Harbaugh twice, Belichick four times. He wins against these coaches. Beat Mike Tomlin. Tua just he if he keeps playing the way he's played, the, in particular this week, he can have success with this team. This team can get to the playoffs. It can because Xavier Howard, Javon Holland. Christian Wilkins, who I think has played really well so far this season in the interior. Most people thought, well, the past number of years, I know this as most people, it's ob- obvious. The defense has been the strength of the Miami Dolphins. It, it always has since Dan Marino retired. The strength of the Miami Dolphins has been defense. Who do you think of? Jason Taylor, Hall of Famer. Cameron Wake, fringe Hall of Famer, Canadian Football League Hall of Famer. Number 91, over 90 career sacks. Jason Taylor, Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's who you think of when you come to Miami Dolphins. Xavier Howard, over the last four seasons, leads the NFL in interceptions. Defensive players have been the bedrock of this team. Javon Holland out of Oregon, the Canadian boy, can straight ball. And I think this defense will still play well. But it's also about the offense being able to pick up a bad game for a defense. Because those are going to happen. Where your defense just doesn't have it someday, can you overcome it? The Dolphins did yesterday. Tua, Tyreek, Jalen, they did. When it comes to Baltimore, I'm not worried. Their defense played horrible yesterday. It'd be the worst game they play all year. I mentioned back-to-back big plays where no safety help. Marcus Williams was MIA. Chuck Clark, I don't know what he was doing on that second touchdown throw to Tyree Kill. Didn't make any sense. However, this team is also built on defense. I trust Marlon Humphrey. He's an all-pro. I trust Marcus Williams because he's a great safety and he was a great signing in the offseason. Their pass rush 
little worried about that, but I trust the secondary of this team. Marcus Peters needs to find his game. He's recovering from a serious injury. Wait to see on him. But offensively, Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson. I'll have every other person doubt Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to. The dude is a stud. Rashad Bateman looks like a different player. He's more confident. He's happy. He seems happier on the field. He's fast. He's quick. He's got Devin Duvernay is a threat. Mark Andrews is still there. Isaiah Likely is just scratching at the surface what this dude can do. This offense will be explosive. Their two running backs haven't even returned yet. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. To me, Baltimore is still the best team in the, in the AFC North. I'm not worried about Baltimore yet. They had a bad game. They'll bounce back. They will. They got the Patriots next week. They'll bounce back. But credit to the fish. And if you're a fish fan, one of the biggest victories in the last 20 years. That's not hyperbolic because they haven't had many. When you think of Miami victories, you think of the Miami Miracle against the Patriots, which was inconsequential because they lost next week and they didn't make the playoffs. I think of the Ryan Fitzpatrick pass in Vegas game where he they had a handful of face masks. He threw the ball up, and Mac Hollins made an improbable catch that went on to win that game. But they lost the next week, and they missed the playoffs. These big games become bigger games, become immortal when you, make, when you have positive results after it, when you have success following these big-type wins. We'll see what Tua, we'll see what this offense and this, and this Miami Dolphins team can do to what, what they do after this big win. They got the Bills next week. They have the Bills next week who are playing tonight on, on a Monday night. So Bills have a short week. Big opportunity. The Bills are a better team than the Dolphins. But that doesn't mean the Dolphins can't win the game next week. Bills lost some games last year. You thought they should have won. They lost to the Titans last year. They lost to the Patriots last year. They lost to the Jags last year. Shit happens. Strange things happen sometimes. We'll see what happens. But credit to Tua answering his critics, standing in the pocket, and delivering a deep ball down the field. Now, he did overthrow both. He did underthrow both of them, which was a little funny to me. But he still completed the pass. They still were in the end zone. That's all that matters. Seven points. Credit to the Dolphins and credit to the offense for stepping up because their defense has been carrying them for a very, very long time. Where do we go next? So many interesting stories today. Let's talk about the AFC North for a second here. AFC North, what a day for the AFC. You talk about a role reversal. The AFC North has really been the class of the AFC for a long time. They went 0-4 yesterday. Steelers lose a home game to the Patriots. Steelers were 7-0-1 their last eight home games dating back to last season. The Cleveland Browns dropped a decision to the New York Jets. <laughs> I got to stick on this game for a second. 
I don't wish ill will on Jokobi Brissett because he doesn't deserve ill will brought on him. I don't wish ill will to Nick Chubb. I love Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's a stud running back, great running back out of Georgia. Dude's just a, a pro's pro. One of the best running backs in football, period. I'm thinking of other players I don't ish, Ill, wish ill will. Miles Garrett, nothing but positive. Jadavion Clowney, Amari Cooper, I guess, kind of a whiner. But I'll, Amari, I'll throw him in there. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. He can't catch, but whatever. We'll throw him in there. To the rest of the Cleveland Browns organization, or the Cleveland Clowns, <laughs> you lost to the New York Jets at home. The J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 win a road game. A road game at the Brownies. Joe Flacco beat the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I want the Cleveland Browns to lose every game this year because I don't want one. What's his name comes back for them to even have an opportunity to make the playoff. So thank you, New York Jets. Thank you, Joe Flacco. Thank you, Garrett Wilson. Thank you, Elijah Moore. Elijah Davis, sorry. Brees Hall. The Cleveland Browns do not deserve success. The Cleveland Browns don't deserve sympathy. The Cleveland Browns fans are scumbags. Do you see that display they put on this weekend where they had a sex doll on a table? With a, um, just going to put it, an erection. Me And they put a sign that says, sometimes a happy, e it's, it said, a happy ending is not a crime. That was outside their stadium yesterday. Despicable. They deserve everything they get. It's a shit franchise. It's a shit ownership. Jimmy and D. Haslam deserve nothing but wreckage. Deserve nothing but failure. They've only had failure the last number of years. I'm happy to see it. Keep it coming. Steelers Thursday night. What a Thursday night game. Oof. The good thing about Thursday night games early in the year is that teams aren't that bad yet. So you're going to tune Well, I'm going to tune in anyway. But you're going to tune in to watch it because... Although the Steelers' offense looks bad. But thank you, Jets. Congrats to the Jets for beating the Cleveland Browns. Because they stink. They are loathsome. I don't root against anybody. I don't cheer for anybody. I root against the Browns. I do. Because you people, yes, you people in Cleveland, I'm lumping you all together. Because you're forcing my hand. You people are the problem. Because you are enabling that piece of shit that is not playing quarterback yet for your despicable, loathsome team. The Browns lose to the Jets. They lose to 85-year-old Joe Flacco. Jets fans can think this is a big deal. It isn't. But I'm so happy for them. They win a game. The Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 get a huge win. Not really, but they get a huge win. They're not going to go winless. 
to think the Jets don't have a win. The Raiders don't. The Colts don't. Broncos shouldn't. The Panthers don't. Boy, they. Titans don't. But thank you to the Jets. Thank you to Joe Flacco. And to the people of Cleveland. Suck it. What else happened? AFC North. The Patriots beat the Steelers. This game was not the most entertaining game in the world. Didn't have a whole lot of action. It's Patriots. It's Steelers. What I did find the biggest part of this game, and why if the Patriots are going to have success this season, which I still doubt, but if they're going to be able to win games, and the reason... I noticed something from this game just watching it, and so I'll just get into it. If the Patriots are going to compete for a playoff spot, if the Patriots are going to compete with the Dolphins, with the teams in the playoff mix come you know the middle of the season, the reason the Patriots will be in that window is because of Mac Jones's football IQ. What I mean by this is Mac Jones's biggest strength as a quarterback is not his arm strength. It's not, his, it's not his athletic ability, because he has very little. It's not his deep ball. Nope. It's his ability to understand the pocket. Something Mac Jones has that some older quarterbacks than him have, some quarterbacks with way more experience just haven't figured out and likely never will, is the ability to understand and read the pocket. You can watch, if you go back and watch the Patriots game yesterday, there are multiple times where edge rushers are coming on, you know, they're rushing hard, and they're close to Mac Jones. But he reads it with his feet, he steps up in the pocket, he will shimmy to the right, he'll shimmy to the left to avoid passers. He might have to throw the ball away. There was a play yesterday where he moved in the pocket, he stepped up, he found Nelson Aguilar uh, on, a, on a shallow cross, eight-yard pickup, it went from a second and ten to a third and one. That was a, a smart play. That, that is Mac Jones's superpower to me. It is his best ability, is his ability to read and understand the pocket. You counteract that with a Joe Burrow. He doesn't understand this. He doesn't read it as well. He doesn't have as great of a feel because he gets sacked left and right, and a lot of them aren't his fault, but some of them are also step up in the pocket. Make it move, move your plane. Tom Brady does this. He's just like Mac. He's not athletic. He's got a way better arm, but they both have that ability to understand. I feel pressure from my left. I feel pressure from my right. I need to step up. I need to shimmy so I can avoid this pressure. And I, that's what I saw from Mac Jones yesterday. A big reason why they won. Patriots extended drives. They killed clock. And at the end of the day, the Pittsburgh defense just couldn't get a stop late in the game. Pittsburgh defense got more turnovers yesterday. Minka Fitzpatrick had an interception. They had a fumble recovery, but that offense couldn't do anything. Steelers are 1-1. One one. They got the Browns Thursday night. We'll talk more about Steelers-Browns when we get closer to Thursday. And I'm going to rewatch the – I want to watch the Browns-Jets game in full. I'm going to do that this week. That's on the docket. But before we get there, I did watch a lot of the Steelers-Patriots game yesterday. That was on one of my screens. 
If the Steelers lose to the Browns Thursday night, Mitch Trubisky will not be the starting quarterback in week four. It will be Kenny Pickett, and it will be justified. The Pittsburgh offense is just inept. I heard Charles Davis on the telecast, who I like. I think he does a good job for CBS. He talked about how he loved Najee Harris, the running back for the Steelers. I love him too. I think he's a great leader. I think he's a guy that just he bleeds Pittsburgh. I think Mike Tomlin is would really lean on him to be a leader on this team. Well, Najee Harris is a terrible in his career. He runs just over three yards a carry. That is not very good. And it's not because he's not a good running back. It's because this offensive line in Pittsburgh is a pit. They cannot run block to save their lives. They cannot create holes for their for their players. This offense doesn't not have a statue quarterback anymore in Ben Roethlisberger. It still looks inept. It, it's not creative. There isn't passes. Mitch Trubisky is not finding guys on the run. He's not as accurate as I thought he would be. I was all for Mitch Trubisky getting a second chance as a starting quarterback because he didn't get he did not get a fair shake in Chicago. We've only seen Kenny Pickett play in the preseason. He played well in the preseason. But if you lose to the Browns and you lose to the Patriots in your first three games, two teams that I do not expect to make the playoffs, that does not bode well for your franchise. To me, Mike Tomlin will not make a rash decision, but I also know Mike Tomlin, he's a competitive guy. He wants to win football games. And you also have to look at your offense every week and say, we want to have our best chance to win. If the players in that locker room believe Kenny Pickett gives them a better chance to win than Mitch Trubisky, you kind of have to make that decision, even if, it, if, it, if it's against the way you've operated as a head coach for the last number of years. The great head coaches are able to zig when, they're, when they need, are able to zag when they need to, able to change, to have a metamorphosis themselves. I mentioned off the top coaches with Lamar Jackson. Don't use your system. Use his system. Use his abilities and maximize them. If you have a quarterback in your quarterback room that is more talented than the one that's currently starting, it makes no sense to keep the more talented quarterback on the bench. You need to make that change for the betterment of your team, for the betterment of your franchise to give you the best chance to win. I just... I don't see all that running game improving all that much because that offensive line is still a struggle for Najee Harris, for anyone running the football. And Mitch Trubisky is being stuck with third and longs, and it's not where he succeeds. Third and shorts, having run pass option, having bootlegs for guys is where the Steelers are going to have the most success. But these short routes with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are going to get really old quick for the Steelers offense if it's not rectified in the very near future. Steelers lose to the Pats, Browns lose to the Jets, Ravens lose to the Dolphins. And that brings us to Cincinnati losing to the Dallas Cowboys in Arlington, Texas last night. What can I say about, I'm going to get to the Cowboys. What can I talk about Cincinnati? How about an offensive line 
that was given the second most money in the offseason behind Jacksonville has allowed 13 sacks in two games, most in the NFL. How about a quarterback who has the most turnovers in the first two games? Five. A team that is 0-2 to start a season when their opening schedule was Pittsburgh at home, Dallas minus Dak Prescott on the road. That is doomsday, my friends. That is as bad as it gets. Lyle Collins and Jonah Williams, the two tackles for the Cincinnati Bengals, should be fined by head coach Zach Taylor because they are doing a terrible job at protecting their quarterback. That is true. Micah Parsons was the best player on the field yesterday for either team. He was a dog. There was a play, I'm sure you remember this, in the third quarter where there was a normal pass rush. Nobody picked up Micah Parsons. It was a third down situation. He had his hands on Joe. Joe was barely able to get the ball away. It was another punt situation. Micah Parsons was left unblocked. The best edge rusher on the Cowboys. The best edge rusher on the Cowboys left uncovered. How does that make any sense? It doesn't because this offensive line, this group does not know what the hell they're doing. They don't know protections. They don't know schemes. Joel Mixon isn't helping in the blocking. And this is not being talked about enough. Joe Burrow does not help himself. He has two weaknesses as a quarterback that I can see. He doesn't understand pocket awareness, as I talked about earlier, where Mac Jones has that great ability. Joe Burrow stands there with the football no matter what, and he holds on to it too long. You have to be aware of your team's faults. If your offensive line isn't good, get the ball out of his hands quickly. Get rid of it. That's also on the offense, on Zach Taylor. Get some quick slants, shallow routes, seams, quick passes to get the ball out of your hands. What do they do for Brady at Tampa Bay? That's what they do all the damn time. Quick passes out of his hand. That would need, that's what needs to happen. So you less hits, less traffic, and it's easier plays, and you get the balls to your skill position players. This, this Cincinnati is a ton of them. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. You have skill all over the field. They don't do that enough to help Joe Burrow. So uh, that's an, another thing. They got to get the ball. You have to, and you have to throw the ball away. If you don't see anything, throw it away to avoid a hit. Because 13 sacks in two games, after being sacked 70 times last year, including the postseason, you're not going to make it in the in the league. Your body is going to be broken down. You're going to be the next Andrew Luck, as I was pontificating about last year. Eventually, your body's going to tell you you just can't do it anymore. Andrew Luck said, "I'm done with football because I can't." Hold up, I punctured my lung. I have all these injuries. I can't do it. Cincinnati, they just, they had opportunities yesterday. Their defense or Dallas's lack of offense kept them in the game. Not to mention you get the ball with less than two minutes left. You could go on a two-minute drill to win the game. Dallas forces a punt, and they go on to win the game on a game-winning field goal. 
I just look at the Bengals and I worried about this team before the year. I had this thought that the Bengals were going to have a Super Bowl hangover. And it was my preseason just, I had this inkling about the Bengals. And I still picked them to make the playoffs, even though my brain was telling me, no, no, there's something, there's a, something wrong in Cincinnati. There's something very wrong in Cincinnati where it's just, it's not clicking. Something doesn't seem right. And now I look at this team and I'm thinking, no, you should have listened to your, should have listened to yourself. Logic told me, oh, Cincinnati will figure it out. This team looks completely lost. I'm going to repeat it. Your first two games of the year, Pittsburgh at home with a new quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, week two at Dallas minus Dak Prescott. And Michael Gallup, I'll add. And you lose both games on game-winning field goals, which is even more painful for this team. That offensive line needs to figure it out quick. Zach Taylor needs to work with Joe Burrow to get him some routes that he knows he has to get the ball out of his hands. Because there's an elite pass rusher on every team in this league. There just is. There's going to be a guy that is able to get to you, that is able to beat a tackle, to find an advantage on every team. It's going to be a tough row for, for Cincinnati this year. But 13 sacks allowed in the first two games. Whew. I'm worried about Cincinnati, and I'm worried about Joe Burrow if he continues to take these hits. Because he's so talented, he could be a great quarterback for many years to come. But if you allow this to happen, and they paid for it, I understand that. So now it's on the offensive line coach. It's on these men to, to block. But if you can't figure it out, it can be Andrew Luck in a very quick order. Because after you get sacked so many times in your first few seasons in the league, then it's just a few hits, and before you know it, you're done. You could have a great, you could only be sacked 20 times in a season, but those hits hurt more and more as you get older. I don't love what's, what's happening in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow isn't playing that well. Their offensive line stinks. Their defense isn't clutch in key situations. Dallas. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be minus Dak Prescott for a number of weeks. That is going to happen. He, he wasn't put on the injured reserve because it's more of a public relations thing. They didn't want to put him on there. Don't want to make people think that he'll be back sooner than he will be. But there's something that is absolutely true about this Dallas Cowboys team, whether Dak Prescott is playing or not. And that was established last season. And that is that their defense is legit. Their first two games of the season, they played, they played Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. The GOAT and the AFC, you know, the, the quarterback that got the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl last year representing the AFC. A number one overall pick and the GOAT. That's who they play in their first two games, the Dallas Cowboys defense. That's not an easy start to a year. You're not getting a Davis Mills in there. You're not getting a Russell Wilson in there. There's no peachy game for, for, the, for that defense. Week one, you allow 19 points and one touchdown. Week two, you allow 17 points and one touchdown. That is impressive. Two touchdowns allowed on defense the first two weeks and 19 points 
and 17 points. This defense can keep them in every game for a number of reasons. Micah Parsons is elite, elite. He was fantastic as a rookie. He's better now. He is taking those steps as Aaron Donald did, as TJ Watt did, to become such a force for their team. He controls one side of the ball, which helps. He reminds me of when Von Miller got added to the Rams, and they had you know, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, you had Leonard Floyd. It helped that defensive line. Doris Armstrong is getting sacks. He had two and a half sacks yesterday because he was getting single looks. He's a good, good, very good pass rusher. When you have Micah Parsons on one side getting doubled, who still got two sacks yesterday. He's got four sacks in his first two games. And then you have Doris Armstrong, and you also have Demarcus Lawrence over there, who's a great run stuffer who can still rush the quarterback. Your pass rush is great. Trayvon Diggs and Wilson were fantastic in the secondary yesterday. They were, they were phenomenal for the Cowboys. They couldn't have done better. Trayvon Diggs looks improved to me. He was a riverboat gambler last year. He was getting burned by different wide receivers. He looks like he's more structurally sound. He looks like he's playing more confident at the cornerback position. I like what I'm seeing from Trayvon Diggs. Six sacks, Dallas yesterday. Huge stop with a minute and two left, I added. Just that huge play on Joe Burrow. This defense won them the game yesterday because they Dallas led 17-3 at the half. They won the game 20-17. They only scored three second-half points, but that defense, yes, it gave up a number of points in the second half. However, they gave it all they had. They played their ass off. They did. They kept them in the game. They got stops. They sacked Joe Burrow. They first they forced turnovers. Credit to the Dallas defense. It's legit. It can keep them afloat before Dak Prescott returns from injury. Not to mention, I thought Cooper Rush had a Geno Smith type first half yesterday where Geno didn't play so great yesterday in Game 2 for the Seahawks, but he balled out in Game 1 of the first half against the Denver Broncos. That's what Cooper Cup did. First two drives, two touchdowns. He played with no fear. Noah Brown, who has been in and out of the Dallas lineup for many years, was a number one receiver yesterday. And do you want to know why? Here's why. It's a little secret. Noah Brown has been running scout team which is basically what you run when you're not a starter on offense. You run scout team with quarterbacks that aren't the starter, meaning Cooper Rush has been the scout team quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys the last three seasons. Noah Brown has been on the Dallas Cowboys the last four. He's been getting most of his work from Cooper Rush. These two have a rapport. They, are, they have a friendship. They have camaraderie where they just have a connection. And you saw it yesterday. Cooper Rush, when he needed to, would throw the ball to Noah Brown. Noah Brown had eight receptions in his career from Dak Prescott prior to yesterday. He had six catches in the game yesterday for, uh, with Cooper Rush at the, at the helmet quarterback. This offense remains to be seen. It leaves a lot to be desired. In the second half, it put up three points, as I just said. I don't think it's, it's a great team, but the difference between a Seattle, who laid an egg after getting a big one win yesterday, and Dallas, who bounced back winning with a backup quarterback, 
is this defense is better than the Seattle defense. Micah Parsons is an elite, elite player. Seattle has some good defensive players, but nobody is like Micah Parsons on it. They don't have a corner like Trevon Diggs. It's a young defense. This defense played together last year. They still have the same defensive coordinator in Dan Quinn. And you look, the New York Giants lead the NFC East at 2-0, which is crazy. Giants beat Carolina, and they beat Tennessee their first two weeks. That's, those are two impressive wins, in my opinion. They battled for both. Carolina's terrible. We'll get to Matt Rule in a second. But credit to Brian Dable going for it on fourth down in, in the first half. I love the way he's been coaching this team. He's fired up between plays. Daniel Jones is getting opportunities to succeed where he's not asked to do everything. Saquon Barkley is a big part of the offense. So they got the Giants next week, Monday Night Football. Dallas at the G-Men. They could, I think they could win that game, but again, the Giants have shown good signs so far this season. The Commanders are 1-1. One one. They got destroyed against the Detroit Lions yesterday. The Lions just laid a beating. I mean, that's what Carson Wentz and the Commanders for you. They have a great week one. They make a statement. And the next week, they lay a complete egg. They were down by 25 points at one point of this game. One of Jared Goff's best games as a Detroit Lion. St. Brown had a huge night. And again, Swift has just been... I mean, he's been phenomenal the first two weeks of the season. He's the most important piece of this offense. And not to mention Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick in the draft, had three sacks yesterday in his second career NFL game, which is the most in, in, a, in a single game in Lions history. So the commanders fall back. You have the Cowboys right there. You have the Giants. And then the Eagles play tonight against the Minnesota Vikings. That's a pick'em game. That's what it is. That's the betting line. It's a pick'em game. Who knows who comes out on top of that one tonight? Both teams are good. No gimme for the Eagles at home as they as they as they have the home opener. I give the Cowboys credit. Not only did they cover the number yesterday, they win the game outright. Cooper Rush on a on a drive with a minute and two seconds. He needed to go down and get a field goal. He got them in field goal range. He made the plays he had to to get them in that position, and I give him credit for that. This Dallas offense is not going to be explosive. Cooper Rush is not Dak Prescott. This doesn't mean Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. That narrative is completely idiotic. If that ever comes out of somebody's mouth, that they should just be banned from speaking. But this defense, if it's playing the way it is, can keep Dallas in games. It can keep them afloat. It can keep them competitive before Dak Prescott can return. I still think Philly's the best team in this division. To me, Philadelphia is the best team. They have they don't have the best quarterback, but their roster top to bottom is better than the Dallas Cowboys. But any defense can keep defense wins championships still if you got a physical, physical defense that can make you that can make you rethink your life. Joe Burrow is really reconsidering things today. Because he had a tough night getting sacked. Micah Parsons in his face. Doris Armstrong. They can play. And if, I mean, before I move off the NFC East, I mentioned the Commanders. They had a tough day. Credit to the Lions. That was a really good win yesterday for the Detroit Lions. They're 1-1. One one. They're 1-1 one one alongside the Bears, alongside the Packers. And we'll see about the Vikings who look to improve to 2-0 tonight against Philadelphia. We'll talk about that game before this podcast is over. 
one of two games on the Monday Night Football docket tonight, doubleheader. The Carolina Panthers lost to the Giants yesterday. I thought the Panthers could make the playoffs. The Panthers are hapless. Hapless. Another terrible offensive performance. Another, there were five drops by receivers yesterday for Baker Mayfield. Just open drops, not tough, just right open the flat, dropping the ball. DJ Moore dropped a, uh, dropped a touchdown. Tommy Tremble dropped two balls yesterday. Robbie Anderson dropped the ball. It was a frustrating day. Credit to the Giants. They find a way to win the game. Brian Dable's 2-0 as a head coach. Matt Rule is now 10-26 as the Carolina Panthers head coach in his two seasons and two games. He is the head coach on the most hot seat, and that includes Nathaniel Hackett. His seat is burning. It is on fire. He's going to be owed a ton of money. He got a seven-year contract by the Panthers to be their head coach, if you can believe it. I'm sure the Panthers are hoping a college team will scoop him up and will have to pay out. They'll pay him that money so the Panthers aren't stuck with it all, that he can find his footing in the college game because he was known to be a quarterback whisperer at Baylor and, and all, everywhere else where he coached. Baker Mayfield doesn't have any time. Baker Mayfield's receivers are letting him down. And he's not playing well either. He's off kilter. He's missing throws. I expected better from him, but I also expected Matt Rule to coach better. They're 0-2. They have the Saints next week, who are 1-1. You lose that game, you're 0-3. Your season's over. I'll start over there. Your season is done for the Carolina Panthers. It's a new owner. I'm not sure if he fires the coach after three games and he still has that many years left on his contract, but I wouldn't put it past the owner because he'll want to make it seem like they still have a chance to be successful this year. Matt Rule, I designed a game plan this week for a win. That's all I'd recommend to you because I'm not so sure your key card's going to work next Monday if you don't beat the Saints. Your offense is putrid, putrid over the first two weeks. You stop the run after you couldn't in week one, you still lose the game. Boy, they. Speaking of the Saints, let's get to the Saints Bucks game yesterday, which is actually one of the bets I hit on. I had the Bucks minus two and a half as they were road favorites against the New Orleans Saints. And it was a physical, it was a Saints Bucks affair. It was what we were used to seeing a physical, physical game at the line of scrimmage where at the half it was three nothing Saints. The Saints had. Had a field goal on their first drive, and they did not score another point until late in the fourth quarter in garbage time where Michael Thomas caught his third touchdown of the season. Tom Brady had a frustrating day. He had pressure up the middle. The cornerbacks for the New Orleans Saints were phenomenal. Marshawn Lattimore locked guys up. Mike Evans didn't have a fun day. So the game's going. Leonard Fournette cannot get anything going. So it's second and long and third and long all day for Tom Brady. Where you're getting about a yard, no yards on first down. And Mario Davis was just so stout in the run game, just clogging up holes for the New Orleans Saints. Brady had to throw balls, get a drop it off, and it was a long day. So this is early in the fourth quarter. Game is still 3-0. to zero. 
and Brady throws a third down pass, and it just misses the arms of the tight end Otto. And he's, or so it's Cameron Bray. He's frustrated on the play. He runs up to the referee. He wants a flag on Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore then gives Brady the business. Says some kind of slander to his face. Brady then gets in Lattimore's face, starts swearing at him. Mike Evans, who's basically on the sideline, runs all the way back and shoves Lattimore, basically like he's his little brother, just shoves him completely out of the play. Lattimore springs up. These two get in a very physical altercation. This is as close to a melee as you've seen in a football game in recent memory. The two had to be separated and were then ejected from the game. Now, you could say this worked out for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because on that next drive, because the Saints had another three and out, the Bucs go on a deep on a drive. No Lattimore on the field. He's playing fantastic corner the whole game. Rashad Perryman on Lattimore's backup catches a 27-yard touchdown pass. The Bucs have another touchdown in the game where Jameis Winston threw a pick six. And the Bucs ended up winning 20-10 to in New Orleans. Brady's first regular season victory against New Orleans since going to Tampa Bay. Number one, I give credit to Dennis Allen defensively because it was he was phenomenal yesterday against Tom Brady. He knows how to frustrate him. Brady was losing his mind all day. He wasn't getting calls. He wasn't getting the usual respect that he gets from the officials, although he did get a few phantom calls late in the game, which led to the Bucs winning in particular on that Perriman drive where two calls were given to Brady that weren't weren't flags, but he got them anyway, basically just out of respect. But the play between Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, this was a win for the Bucks because Mike Evans is a great wide receiver. He is one of the best red zone wide receivers in the NFL, but Lattimore was locking him up. He was locking anybody he had up. Brady couldn't get them the ball. And Brady's had a really frustrating day at the office. Well, by ejecting Lattimore and by ejecting Evans, Lattimore's gone, and Brady's free to pick on a bad corner, and he can even throw a ball to Rashad Perriman, who's bounced around the NFL for multiple years now. I had no problem with both players being ejected from the game because I think that was the Brady was mouthing back. He didn't like it. I and Lattimore engaged with Leonard Fournette originally, and then Mike Evans came over. But the NFL announced today that Mike Evans has been suspended one game for his part in this brouhaha, if you will, this melee, and he'll be out next week's game against the Green Bay Packers. I'm sure the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to appeal this decision. I don't think they're going to like it because I'm sure the argument will be Lattimore started the fight. He engaged physically with Mike Evans first or engaged with Brady first. Here's how I look at it. This is a tit-for-tat situation. Who knows if the Bucs would have won if Marshawn Lattimore was on the field? We don't know. Maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't. All I know is they weren't having much success with him on the field covering receivers for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There was no Julio. There was no Chris Godwin. So it was Mike Evans and a bunch of tight ends, basically. Scotty Miller even made a couple appearances. Scotty Miller and Tom Brady never had a great connection last year. So if Lattimore stays, maybe the Saints can pull out a game 3-0. Maybe it's another shutout, and they get to win a game where their offense was completely putrid. He wasn't. Mike Evans got him out of the game, and the Bucs ended up winning. 
I think most in the back of the NFL's mind, Mike Evans is being suspended because the Saints lost. Because they lost the most important part of their team yesterday, which was Marshawn Lattimore. The Bucs will miss a key part of their team next week. It's a week before the, the Packers game, which is on which is America's game of the week on Fox at 525. Maybe Julio Jones will be ready to play. Maybe Chris Godwin will be able to play. But if those two aren't, and you have no Mike Evans, then it's it's basically a, a fair conclusion where Lattimore was lost, they lose a the game, and maybe the Bucs lose a game because Mike Evans is not available for his team. I do think we will see a challenge. I do think we will see uh, an appeal from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I'm not so sure they're going to win it because I think the NFL wants to send a message that this isn't okay. Not to mention, Mike Evans was leaving the field and he came back on to engage physically. He basically had a foot into, into you know, the sideline and he ran back onto the field like he was, he was charging. If he was playing hockey, that was charging. He got a good head of steam and he gave him everything he had, shoving him to the ground. That was no flop. That was just Mike Evans being a strong SOB. Now, for the Bucs, I don't think their offense looked good. As I mentioned, I give credit to their defense back-to-back games. 13 points allowed in two games for the Bucs defense. 13 points. Three to the Cowboys, 10 to the Saints, and as I mentioned, the touchdown was in garbage time. They just don't give up anything big. They played receivers great. One thing about Jameis Winston, stupid football. He took four deep shots to Olave. One of them was on a third and nine at his own nine-yard line. Why is that a deep throw? Do it on first down, not a third and nine. Get the first down. Get out of trouble. Get your field position back. That doesn't make any sense in that situation. He's playing with a back injury. Adam Schefter reported uh, on Sunday morning prior to kickoff. You might have a sore back, but it's just smart sometimes. I looked yesterday and I saw Jameis Winston that was the back to being the Tampa Jameis Winston. That was the gunslinger that wasn't taking things in front of him. He had a play on a third down where he could have scrambled for the first down. He didn't. He stayed He stayed holding the ball, holding the ball, and then he ended up fumbling. Luckily, they were able to recover. But Jameis couldn't have played much worse yesterday than he did. The run game was solid. Mark Ingram did fumble late in the game, which killed the Saints' chances of winning. But I thought all in all the run game was working and it just they, they ran out of time. Credit to the Saints. Again, these defensive teams that are playing very well defensively early in the year are setting a tone and they're winning their games. Cowboys got a win. The Bucks are getting a win. I, the Giants defense has played well in the first two weeks of their of their season. They're getting pass rushing. They're getting guys playing extremely well. I could look, even going and looking back at, I mentioned Dallas. I, The Patriots played well on defense yesterday. So credit to these defensive teams because they're being rewarded for their great defensive play. It is happening. So that's nice to see from these teams. Now, there are some tire fires 
earlier in this year. And if you were on Instagram today, you saw in our story that we posted about, you know, overreaction Monday, what team is the biggest tire fire in the NFL right now after week two? The options were the Indianapolis Colts, who lost 24-0 to the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday. The Las Vegas Raiders, the Carolina Panthers, or the Denver Broncos, who I threw in there. Let's start with the Colts. You lose 24-0 to Jacksonville after you tie week one against the Houston Texans. So you are 0-1-1 on the season, 0-1-1 in the division. Trevor Lawrence played had one of his best games as a pro yesterday. He loves playing against the Colts. He plays his best football against the Indianapolis Colts. He just seems to play more confident against the Colts in a division game that is a huge win. Jacksonville is first in the AFC South. Houston is 0-1-1. Colts are 0-1-1. Tennessee is 0-1-1. They got the Bills tonight. I think they'll be 0-2. Trevor played confident. They're using his running backs. James Robinson was used yesterday. Christian Kirk is balling out for this team. The Jags look like the team I thought they'd be. I had them, I had them on a futures bet to make the playoffs for Trevor Lawrence to throw 25 touchdown passes this year. To have over six and a half wins. It was a good win yesterday. For the Colts, my God. Matt Ryan, three interception game, zero touchdowns. Zero points. Jonathan Taylor couldn't be used because they were down so early in the game. One thing that was clearly evident yesterday, Michael Pittman Jr. did not play for the Indianapolis Colts. He is their best receiver. He might be their only one. Because Zach Pascal and Mo Cox and these others for the Colts cannot do it. It's a real... It's a part of their team that is weak. They don't have great time. They don't have a great receiving core. They don't have guys that can step up and make big plays. I look at that as, the, as Chris Ballard. As he didn't add enough talent to this team. Pittman's out. You're looking around staring at guys. T.Y. Hilton isn't on this team anymore. You don't have the same type of weapons that you once did in Indianapolis. Not to mention the Colts lose 24-0 to the Jags. You tie the Houston Texans. You have the Kansas City Chiefs next week who are going to be have extra rest because they played on Thursday night. Yikes for the Colts. Terrible, terrible start. Matt Ryan looks disastrous. Frank Reich's on the hot seat as well, just like Matt Rule. He's been in Indianapolis a long time. They missed the playoffs. He is fired 100%. 100%. I have faith the Colts can find something because I think this division is weak. Houston is no good. The Titans are not very good. I like my Jags. I feel good about the Jags. But this division does not have great teams. You can turn it around if you can find it quick enough. You have a veteran quarterback who's been in these type of situations before. Panthers we touched on. They're just they're a tire fire right now. Raiders yesterday. My God. The Raiders. You had it. Huge lead, 20-point lead at one point, and you throw it away to the Arizona Cardinals, who stink, I'm going to add. They stink, the Cardinals. 
and the Raiders handed them the game. Cardinals aren't any good. Cliff Kingsbury, they're just they're celebrating after because they need to celebrate because their team is going to the shitter. Yesterday's win for the Cardinals was like yesterday's win for the Broncos. It's just such a it's a feeling of thank God. We won something. We're gonna be 0-2. Our quarterback doesn't study. Our coach is a pretty boy who doesn't read the playbook, who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He got the job because we don't know why, because he's handsome. He was a losing coach in college at Texas Tech. Somehow he's coaching in the NFL. For the Raiders yesterday, for Hunter Renfro, you fumble on back-to-back plays. You fumble once, you end up recovering it, it's okay. You breathe a sigh of relief in this crazy game yesterday, which you also saw Kyler Murray scramble for a touchdown with no time remaining. Then get the two-minute warning. Crazy athletic play to get the touchdown at the end of the game. I give him credit for that because that only so many guys can do that on this planet. And Kyler's in the 1% of that. This is athleticism. But Hunter Renfro, you fumble, you end up keeping it. Way to go, Fabian Moreau. You give him a tap in the helmet. The next play, you don't do it. Well, Derek Carr goes right back to Hunter Renfro because he's normally sure-handed. He is a good receiver. Justin Simmons pokes the ball out. Fumble! Ball's on the ground. Recovered for the touchdown. Fumble brought back for six. You walk it off. The Cardinals beat the Raiders in Las Vegas. They are 1-1. One one. The Las Vegas Raiders under Josh McDaniels are 0-2. Credit to Justin Simmons. Credit to Byron Murphy Jr. for making that play. I look at the Raiders, though. You had this game. It was so easy. I think you screwed a lot of people betting yesterday because it was the Raiders minus 5.5. I think people felt good about that bet. First two games, Derek Carr hasn't played well. I can easily say that. First two games, the defense of the Raiders has been okay. But the main thing for the Raiders is you're turning the ball over. Three turnovers in week one, you lose the game. Three turnovers in week two, you lose the game. You lose the turnover battle. More often than not in the NFL, you're going to lose the game. Devontae Adams is getting targets. That's all good. He's, he's gone from Aaron Rodgers. You have a new connection in Vegas. Well, the Chiefs are 2-0. and Your Chargers are 1-1, but they're better than you. They, they've already beaten you on the year. The Broncos have a better record than you. Josh McDaniels' his first year, his first coaching job since he was in Denver that went horribly, horribly wrong. The best thing I can say about this for the Raiders is their defense hasn't been the biggest problem so far. It's been turnover. You can limit your turnover margin. You still have a chance to win games. They need to figure that out quick. You're 0-2. The odds of you making the playoffs are very slim at 0-2. Not to mention they were a playoff team last year that I think will miss. But this is just a game you threw away. It's one that will dig at you forever because you know you should have won it. You're at home, and you throw a game like this away. 
credit to the Cardinals for fighting back. Credit to Kyler Murray and this team for finding that resolve, finding that inner will to not give up and fight back from over 20 points down. I give you credit for that because I have no faith in this team. I still don't. Miami's stock rose yesterday. The Cardinals did nothing for me by their stock by winning the game because I still look at them as the same team. Extremely flawed, a defense that's flawed, an offensive line that isn't that good, and a head coach that I have zero faith in because he's done nothing to prove it to me at the NFL level. But the Raiders. Now we get to the fourth team on the poll that I added sarcastically, but also not really because this is perplexing beyond perplexing. The Denver Broncos, who were D on the list, who I'm sure did not get many votes. But the Denver Broncos are one and one somehow. I'll be honest, yesterday... I don't root for teams, as you know. I root for content. I was rooting for the Atlanta Falcons, and I was rooting for the Houston Texans to beat the Rams and the aforementioned Broncos yesterday because that would make for great content. Two huge upsets, two ten-and-a-half-point ten dogs getting wins yesterday. Both teams end up losing because both teams are bad, and they just choke in big situations. Falcons have an opportunity late in the game after – Cooper Cup fumbles, but Jalen Ramsey comes up with a big interception, and the Rams hold off to beat the sorry Falcons. The Broncos. Let's start with their incompetence. 16 points in week one against the Seattle Seahawks, a team that is will likely finish in the bottom seven in the NFL this year. You barely edge out the Houston Texans yesterday who don't have a win yet and will likely be picking in the top five of next year's NFL draft. They will be. The Denver Broncos have been inside the 10-yard line six times this season. They have one touchdown pass. I'll do the math for you. It's quick. I did it it earlier. That is a 16% conversion rate scoring inside the 10-yard line for the Denver Broncos. League average inside the 10 scoring touchdowns is 43% so far this season. That means you are god-awful of scoring in the key zone. But not only that, they won yesterday, the Broncos, but in my mind, they still lost because of this sequence. This sequence alone was one of the most interesting, was one of the most flabbergasting, was one of the funniest things I've seen yesterday. So it's third and one. End of the third quarter. It's about a minute left in the third quarter. They got all the time in the world to drop the ball. But Russell Wilson likes to take his time before he snaps the ball. If you notice this already in the air. He likes to take his likes to take his damn time. He'll wait till zero seconds on the clock because he had three delay game penalties in week one. He had two yesterday, I might add. Well, he would have had four yesterday, but they called timeout on two of them. So we're splitting hairs, but you get the, the gist that I'm I'm coming up with here. So third and one, they got, they got Javante Williams, who Walker Campbell, credit to you. You texted me earlier today. Javante Williams was averaging over 7.3 yards per carry yesterday. That's pretty good. Just to put some more pixie dust on this story. That's pretty good. You also have Melvin Gordon, who isn't a bad back either, or Russell Wilson, who isn't a bad runner with the football either, although he's getting worse, but he's not bad. 
So you're thinking third and one. What could, we, what could we do? Well, we got these backs. Maybe we run a bootleg play action. I don't know. How about a tight end draw? How about you get a tight end and you run a tight end on a third and one? I've watched football a long time. I've seen fullback dives on a fourth one, fourth and one when you need a when you need to change a pace, you need to change a play. I seen Mark Andrews rush yesterday for the Baltimore Ravens on a fourth down. That was a tight end rush. But guess what? That was in a different situation. It was in a different alignment. They had the tight end in the backfield. Tight end rush on third and one. Newsflash, it didn't work. Fourth and one. This is what. <laughs> so then, Nathaniel Hackett, boy genius, the guy who got the job because he worked with Aaron Rodgers. Who doesn't look good working with Aaron Rodgers? Look at the guys he worked with last night. When I get to the Green Bay in a second, I am interested with Green Bay and the way they're using their offense. But out comes Brandon McManus, the kicker from last week who couldn't make one. They love him in Denver. He's out there. They're still fucking confused. What's going on? They don't know the clock. The clock's winding down. They couldn't get the field goal off. Timeout. So then fourth and one, you're thinking, well, maybe they just wanted to draw them off sides. No, they didn't. Because they called a timeout. You'd let it just run down. You, won't, we'll, you wouldn't burn a timeout. They do anyway. What happens in the fourth and one? Maybe we learn, learn from last week. We should bring Russell Wilson on the field. We should let him have an opportunity. No, they punt. So you're, this is the sequence. Third and one, tight end rush. Fourth, fourth down, field goal kickers on the field. Oh, we ran out of time. Timeout. Then you punt. That was the sequence yesterday. You had to burn a timeout. You had a tight end rush. And still Nathaniel Hackett is, at the end of the game, looks surprised that they won. Believe me, Nathaniel. Me too, buddy. This Denver team is so flawed, it's not. It's scary because people think they're good. They're not. Russell Wilson looks 43. He looks washed in the first two weeks. That's my hot take, that the Denver Broncos, that contract is going to be horrible in the near future. Not the distant future, the near future. He looks terrible. This coach is out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's doing. In over his head. You're a coordinator. Clearly, clock management is too fucking complicated for you. Plus, you're the play caller. Tight end draw on a third one. I'm not giving you credit for beating the Houston Texans. I'm not giving you credit for getting a good punt off. You had a horrible day at the office. Nye, you had a terrible week at the office because Seattle and Seattle, the Seattle game and the Houston game was on the same week. Because guess what? To me, a new week starts on a Monday, not Sunday. I'm not Catholic. I'm not religious. Fuck that. New weeks start on Monday, not Sunday. God. Come on. Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> oh, the Broncos got the Niners next week, Sunday Night Football. Speaking of the Niners, my boy is back. Porn star Jimmy. 
a.k.a. Jimmy Garoppolo, is the new quarterback, starting quarterback, for the San Francisco 49ers because, unfortunately, Trey Lance suffered a broken ankle. He had season-ending surgery today, and he will miss the remainder of this season. For Trey Lance, I worry about his career. The last three years, this is how he played a full year at University of uh, North Dakota. Then he redshirted. Last season, he played a game and four snaps. This season, he played a game and seven snaps. He's played very little football over the last three years. More and more time is coming off the clock where you're going to be developing. You're going to get better. I don't know what his career is going to be. He's injury prone. He's never on the field. He's not getting reps. He's not going to get better. San Francisco 49ers might be looking at a bust where they traded up with the Dolphins to get the third pick and Trey Lance has barely barely played for this team and now they're back in a position where thank God they re-signed Jimmy, they restructured Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, contract because they would be done without him. And I'm going to make the argument today, I had the Niners going to the Super Bowl before the season started. I thought Trey Lance would be the quarterback But to me, the Niners have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl this year with Porn Star as their quarterback than Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo knows this offense. He knows this team. They trust him. They like Jimmy Garoppolo. George Kittle hasn't played yet. He'll be back. Him and Jimmy are extremely close friends. To me, Trent Williams, who's a veteran on that team, wanted Jimmy Garoppolo as the starting quarterback. San Francisco is a dangerous team if 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 they can get healthy. George Kittle's got to play. They still got to figure out the running back position with with Davis Price, who was at LSU. Jeff Wilson Jr., Elijah Mitchell's out for a couple months. But to me, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the best backups in the league, and that's why you keep him on your roster because you have a quarterback that is injury prone. San Francisco can still very much compete for the a- the NFC West. The Rams haven't looked great week one in the first couple weeks. Seattle's not going to be great. Arizona, please. Two big games. You have San Francisco-Denver next week. Denver's look horrible. The Rams have been really inconsistent. They got Arizona next weekend on the schedule. But I do believe San Francisco has a better chance of winning the Super Bowl this year with porn star Jimmy at the helm rather than Trey Lance because porn star knows what it takes. I'm a porn star Jimmy fan. I root for him. He's kind of an underdog now. He was cut, then brought back. He wasn't wanted in San Francisco, but now he's the savior. It's intriguing anyway. It's a new storyline. Porn Star is back in the Bay Area. We'll see what he can do with his new teammates, but he gets a win against Seattle in coming off the bench. He'll get his first start next week against the Broncos. And that leaves us with the Sunday night game. Bears-Packers. Packers, 10-point Packers, favorites. They covered the number. They win easily against the Bears, who had a great opening drive. And after that, I thought Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, just forgot about what got him to the dance, forgot that the running game was the be-all, end-all, which led to getting Justin Fields opportunities to play. Justin Fields threw the ball nine times last night for 70 yards. 
frustrating to see what the Bears do on offense. They still haven't figured out what they're doing as a team. But I'm going to get to Green Bay because this is the bigger story. Green Bay is the team that has aspirations this year. I still think the Bears could finish with the worst record in the NFL. To me, what was the biggest, what I saw last night from Green Bay was a shift offensively. Aaron Rodgers still does not trust his young wide receivers. Romeo Dobbs, a rookie. Christian Watson, a rookie. Both only had two catches last night. It was Sammy Watkins. It was Randall Cobb. It was Alan Lazard who returned. And the focal point of the offense last night was running back Aaron Jones, who had multiple touchdowns, who had many, many touches. But this team is no longer throw a deep ball down the field. It's more of a dink and dunk offense that is has a couple focal points. Number one, they're two running backs. You have Aaron Jones, who is the shifty in and out of in and out of blocks, who can make guys miss, who's, who's just a creative back. And you have AJ Dillon, who's the power guy out of Boston College, who can run you over on short yardage and get you know just run for extra yardage because you just can't tackle the guy. You have your screen game, which you can use with your young receivers or end arounds to rookies like Christian Watson, who caught a ball like that last night. And then you have your, your veterans in Randall Cobb who are running slants, who are running shorter routes because these are older receivers. They're not guys that are going to burn you down the field. But it's shifted from having Devontae Adams, who can do anything, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who can run deep routes down the field. I'm seeing a shift from Aaron Rodgers and from Matt LaFleur to this new style of offense. I'm not certain it's going to remain forever because I think they, they look at it and say Christian Watson will need time to develop, but he can get to a level where he can be a receiver that can be trusted to catch a deep ball. And maybe Romeo Dobbs can be the same way. He can be a more intermediate guy that gives us options. But as I look at this team, I expect to see two running backs on the field. Some, we saw it last night, multiple plays. I expect to see a lot of Randall Cobb. I expect to see a lot of Sammy Watkins because that's who Aaron Rodgers trusts right now. It takes him a while to, to trust people. Alan Lazard, I expect to be the biggest focal point of this offense when it comes to a guy down the field that can make a big catch. But I noticed that last night. Their offense was changing. It wasn't that explosive. It wasn't about taking a deep shot. It was about systematically breaking you down. Now, you're playing the Bears, who aren't a great team. Will they be able to do that against a Tampa Bay Bucks defense, who's been phenomenal so far? I'm curious to see. Because the Bucks are very good at stopping the run. They're very good at the line of scrimmage. Vita Vea is just a monster in the middle of that defense who can blow anything up. Shaq, Devin White's played phenomenal over the first two weeks. Shaq Barrett seems to be rejuvenated for the Bucs. They seem to be really just motivated to win this season with Tom Brady and after losing last year following the Super Bowl win. This Packers-Bucs game is going to be fun. I mentioned Mike Evans won't be in it because of, because of that suspension. But I'm more curious to see the new and improved Green Bay offense, how it plays against this Bucks defense who are so dominant at the line of scrimmage. And with behind, you know, behind the line of scrimmage plays where you have quick passes, where you have to make you have to block, you have to make sure a guy misses. I'm not so sure this Green Bay offense is gonna look stellar against this Tampa defense because they are so fast and because they are so physical. It's always fun when Brady and Rodgers meet. It's always fun when these two teams get to play each other. So I'm looking forward to seeing what these two can do. 
next Sunday on Fox's NFL Game of the Week. That was the day yesterday because that, that was it was just bedlam, a lot of crazy things, a lot of teams that just looked hapless, as I mentioned, a lot of teams that made great improvements that look like they are going to bring something to the table. We have Monday Night Football tonight, a doubleheader, if you can believe it. Titans at Bills, and then we have Vikings at Eagles. The Bills are 10.5-point favorites over the Tennessee Titans. Titans lost to the Giants in Week 1. The Bills haven't played since opening night Thursday. Tonight, 10's a big number, but the Bills, I just, I don't trust the Titans. I don't think they're a great team. I like the Bills to cover the number tonight. It is their home opener. I think that crowd's going to be fired up. Not to mention the Titans beat the Bills last year in Tennessee. Yes, it was last year, but I think teams remember that. I think the Bills are going to want to win this game tonight for their fans to send a message. Also, the Dolphins are 2-0. You want to keep pace with them before you play them next weekend. So I don't think the Bills will be losing a game to the Titans tonight. And I don't think the Titans are going to be able to cover the number because I don't think the Titans are that good. Then you have Vikings-Eagles. This is an intriguing, intriguging game. Ryder and I talked about this on Friday. I don't know why they're doing a doubleheader tonight, in particular having two interesting games. But the Vikings-Eagles game is far more intriguing to me. I think it's going to be the better game. It's a much tighter line. You have the Vikings plus two tonight. That's almost a pick them on the road. The Eagles hung on backdoor cover style. The Detroit backdoor cover in week one, but the Eagles did, end up, did get the win. The Vikings beat the Packers. That was a big emotional win. Justin Jefferson had almost 200 yards receiving, two touchdowns. Darius Slay versus Justin Jefferson tonight. Darius Slay is one of the best corners. Justin Jefferson, the best wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. I'm curious to see what Darius Big Play Slay can do against him. Who they're going to, you know, A.J. Brown against the secondary of the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings are game breakers, but I do think they're a very good team. I do think Kirk Cousins is a slightly better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is more athletic. But I like Thielen. I like Jefferson. I like the weapons in Minnesota. So, I, mean, I think this game is going to be fantastic. I think this is the game. If you're going to watch one, it starts later. It's on ABC. The other one's on ESPN. I would watch this game in Philadelphia tonight, and I'm taking the Vikings plus two. I like the I like them as a road underdog to go in and to outright beat the Eagles tonight. Eagles are a good team, but I still I like the Vikings. That would be two huge wins to start their year. A home win against the Green Bay, and then a road victory in Philadelphia in a hostile environment. Maybe we see regression from Kirk Cousins tonight, but I, I have faith that the Vikings will do enough to get the win this evening. And if you can believe it, that will wrap up week two, the two games tonight. And as I mentioned, we got Pittsburgh-Cleveland on the Thursday-nighter. I'm going to save the college football for tomorrow because a lot happened this weekend. I do want to touch on it. We have all week to touch on it. Seamus will be on the show tomorrow, as he always is, on a Tuesday. We're, we'll talk about a number of things. We'll talk about Blake Wheeler getting stripped of his captaincy in Winnipeg. We'll talk about some burning 
NHL questions before the season starting. We'll recap these games. I'll try to get into some college football talk tomorrow as well. I mentioned Herm Edwards was fired at Arizona State, so there's some news. Urban Meyer has reportedly said he's not going to be coaching again. He's not interested in the Nebraska job. Which, by the way, thank you, odds makers, for making Nebraska only an 11-point dog against Oklahoma. That was the easiest bet of the weekend. It was the dumbest line I've seen so far this year. That was the biggest lock ever was Oklahoma beating Nebraska by more than 11, which they did. They beat them by three touchdowns. So thank you for, for the betting companies out there for doing that because I appreciate it. Because BYU didn't show up against Oregon. Luckily, I had another ticket. But BYU, come on, you had a big opportunity. You blew it. Oregon, big win by Bo Nix, five touchdowns. I have to give them that. I have to give them that. Big pack. Pack 12 had a good weekend. University of Washington's 3 0. They look great. They crushed Michigan State primetime Saturday night. Washington State is 3 0. Oregon, 2 and 1. You have USC, 3 0. UCLA is 3 0. Although nobody's going to US UCLA games. I haven't touched on Blake Wheeler yet. I'll do that tomorrow with Seamus, as I mentioned. We'll touch. We'll talk Monday Night Football and so much more tomorrow. But fun show today. Always fun on a Monday to, to dive into these things. Lots of opinions, lots of topics, and it's always fun with football back on a Monday. So, everybody, enjoy your evening. Enjoy the games tonight. There's two of them. We'll, re we'll recap it all tomorrow here on To The Point.